Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris and it is good to be with you today talking about, among other things, Bible prophecy. We are going to talk about how all this relates to Bible prophecy at the end of this uh, podcast. But uh, right now I mostly want to talk about, you know, what's going on in the world. Everything since the coronavirus to the to the riots to the state of the world, the state of the republic. Because after thinking about it a lot the last few weeks, I'm pretty convinced, and I don't know, I might be a bit of a pessimist, but I don't see a lot of scenarios, barring uh, a miracle of some kind, that the Republic makes it through this, whether that's uh, weeks, months, years down the road. I don't see a lot of future for America as a Republic, and I have thought a lot of different scenarios through, and they all kind of end like that. And I want to kind of give some perspective, if that is the case, Uh, what that means for us and how we deal with our lives and deal with our family and deal with uh, everything that comes as a result of something of that significance happening. And, uh, you know, also kind of want to tie it to the fall of Rome a little bit, one of the most famous falls of the Republic, because the, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a trope, you know, the fall of Rome versus the fall of America. Many books have, have noted the parallels, but since we're kind of in this fast forward situation, especially with this new race war kind of narrative, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting parallel. And I don't actually think that's by accident. And that's kind of one of the things I wanted to lead off with. Now, I don't see, I think we need to think of it, for those of you that might have a little bit more conspiratorial bent, you may have come from the New World Order side of things, or maybe you're okay with the idea that there is a knowing group of people out there, united above everything else uh, by their worship of Satan. That is real deal sacrifice to Satan. Worship him for power. Worship him for all the things that he's willing to give to those that worship him at great cost. This is, again, this is a conspiracy theory, right? I mean, I can't, it's really hard to prove that, uh, but I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and so on. My point is to say that in the movies, you know, you always look for the guy who's trying to take over the world, right? He always wants to take over the world. What's that about? Well, we also know, you know, people like Henry Kissinger and David Rockefeller. I mean, they have quotes that are very clear that that's the whole point. You know, these incredibly wealthy people. And and I would submit there's a lot of names out there that you just don't know. They're, they're not your Bill Gates level of notoriety, but they uh, their wealth isn't on the books as much, you know. There's anyway, again, a little bit conspiratorial, but my point is that there are people out there with a ton of resources that have wanted to see the world under a global government for a long time. Now, after World War II, uh, when this really kind of kicked into gear, right, we had, uh, that's when the sort of League of Nations, United Nations really became big and, and everything and a lot more power and a lot more teeth. Uh, people got a lot more outspoken about globalization and the rest of it. But it was also kind of an interesting thing because the nuclear bomb was also developed right around there. Albert Einstein, uh, you defected, brought it over here. I don't really know exactly how much he had to do with it, but it sounds like a lot. In any case, um, that kind of threw a, a wrench in the gears because no longer could you... I mean, America was too powerful for there to be a global government, right? I mean, you, you can't have a global government and have America post-World War II 
where the entire world just became completely indebted to America because it didn't actually fight most of the war. And it was like this huge juggernaut of resources and, and the rest of it. It was basically this shining city on a hill, basically, and while the rest of the world was completely war-torn and economically and, and otherwise, people and everything. The point is that add to that... A, a, a nuclear weapon of which America pretty much was the only one for a long time that even had one, then you basically were in a holding pattern for your global government. It just wasn't going to happen. And hot wars could probably have happened and taken place since then. Countries have gone, gotten big enough to, to challenge this, or coalitions certainly could. But you got that pesky nuclear weapon situation. So hot wars were really never an option in terms of taking America out to pave the way for a global government. So a coup, um, an inside job, you might say, has always really been the plan. Now, people that have been tracking this for a while have seen the money go to people in the media, you know, funding through various backdoor means, media companies, newspapers, basically propaganda, right? The hearts and minds, the Googles, the Twitters, the Reddits, all the stuff that, that in the modern era has become the shaper of, of, of propaganda. And it was fairly easy to control them. It was just about a dollar amount, really. So, of course, these globalists also being super, super rich, that really isn't a resource that they're lacking. So we get the narrative, and then we were able to sort of analyze the narrative and say, well, what is this narrative all about? And it seemed to have been, among other things, promoting, I mean, race war was always a part of it, but it was more about tolerance and inequality and some other sort of things that did that 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 dovetailed into the race war. And ultimately the race war, you know, through the funding of Black Lives Matter and everything became more obvious that that was sort of the, the way to go. And of course, that makes sense if your target is America, because I don't know if anybody knows this, but America is the most diverse country in the world. You know, try to go into Iceland or Russia or China or really anywhere. Even the modern sort of diversity of places in the, in the UK are really imported diversity. And of course, we have the same kind of people backing that. And I mean to say, again, just globalists. I'm not saying one group of people or whatever. I, I guess I'd say Satanists at the at the top level. Those that are knowingly doing it are the people that are knowingly worshiping Satan, of which uh, it just is all manners of people from all manners of walks of life and nationalities. But my point is, is that they, through importing, in this case, a lot of the Syrian refugees and other refugees and that those programs really caused the turmoil that led to Brexit and the rest of it. What I'm getting at here is that because America was diverse, it was almost a, a way to say there's the area where I think you can get them because they have that diversity unlike anybody else. It's a unique trait. Therefore, let's play on that. And all the while, I mean, America has is this beacon of defeating racism over time. We all know it. We all know that our grandparent, great-grandparents versus our grandparents versus our parents versus us has been this monumental shift in racism, right? Just give it a few more generations and we would have eradicated racism. And we didn't need the government putting a boot on our neck to do it, right? Uh, so it, we, were, we were leading the world, if there were metrics and such things, in defeating racism. And we, we have been on the vanguard of it really since the beginning. But the point is, uh, it was a place that you could foment that kind of rebellion through their tools that they mainly had, which is propaganda. And propaganda, to me, I should just say at the outset, is one of the more frustrating things because you'll never be able to convince a person that's been truly 
propagandized that they're wrong because it it plays on their pride so much that to deny the beliefs that propaganda has sold them is to uh, tell them that they're not smart and that's just not a thing that's going to happen anyway again back to the concept why i think this is kind of a genius play now looking years later and seeing why why are, are people funding the black lives matter and why is that a big thing and why is tolerance a big thing and i think part of seeing what's happened as a result of this uh, new situation especially with the corporations the corporation is just folding so quickly to it has been sort of a, a slow roll right we've seen for a while corporations folding to the uh, di uh maybe not diversity what's the word i'm looking for sort of uh at all costs be tolerant of things it's the it's the religion of the modern times via this propaganda push which of course is going to when the the hammer drops on this whole thing it's going to be used against christianity obviously but uh that's probably the real reason that tolerance has become the the watchword of the new order is not just because it was so easily able to co-opt a corporate a corporate entity as it has and it has this veneer of 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 morality which any good totalitarian regime needs to have usually it's in the sort of couched in nationalism of some kind but there's always some kind of you are being also moral by doing this and that's that's an important aspect of it uh, but it also on the other side has cast the conservatives and you can read christians there if you want to because that's basically what they always mean even though they don't say it and nobody really even thinks that on the top level but they will someday uh, but they're casting conservatives as racist we all know how that's been going the last number of years what uh for a long time and that's significant too because it's it, it demonizes us in a way that dehumanizes us as well and and casts us as immoral and uh that when it is time to to put us into the camps or whatever they're going to do they're going to be able to do that with a uh, straight face and of course, we would all say, "Well, that's a lie." I mean, you know, we, Christians were the ones that got rid of slavery. I mean, you, you know, we, we. I think the lies here is something that we need to talk about because it kind of dovetails into the conservative response to this. Because I don't know about you, I, I am built to not like lies. It's just the thing that kills me. I can't stand looking at my algorithm on Reddit or Twitter and the search function and being like, "I can't believe the level of lies that are in my algorithm." Uh, but it's the kind of things that people aren't going to be uh, sensitive to and they're just going to believe it because they think that that's algorithm is true anyway i'm sort of off the point my point is, is that we've been we've been dealing with lies for a long time i mean really this is kind of a war on truth and i know that sounds a little macro but it's also really true i mean let's think of the big lies you know the the ones we all know which is it's okay to kill babies after they're born it's uh, righteous for some reason i mean or the idea that uh, men are women and women are, women are men. That's one that we can see very clearly. But those are the big ones. But there's the small ones. It's all the little tiny things, too. It's just like, and we see, can easily demonize ourselves the other side because in many ways, because they've swallowed literally every single piece of propaganda handed to them. And that propaganda, for the most part, is basically at root anti-Bible. Like everything that the, 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 the enemy wants you to believe is basically the exact opposite of the Bible. So as the net result of that has created a, a uh, the father of lies has created a bunch of children of lies. So you listen to conservative radio and most of the time what they're doing is spending three hours telling you that a lie is a lie and the truth is the truth and pulling their hair out and saying, I can't 
believe that someone would think this particular lie of the day is true. And so they spend their time saying, look at this lie, this new lie that came out today. Isn't that ridiculous? And we all are like pulling our hairs out, hair out and saying, what? I, I can't believe that they believe this new lie. Eventually, what's going to happen here is when this gets to a level that's going to start to really impact us, because I'm about to go into how I think the Republic is going to fall and how it's going to fall exactly like Rome fell. But here's the deal. Before that actually happens, we're going to actually fight back that is conservatives because we're just going to be so fed up with the lies. Um, and when it starts to really affect us, when we start to see the country being at stake, then you're going to have true righteous indignation, right? You're going to have some of these true believer talk radio show hosts say, now is the time. If we don't do it now, we're going to lose the country. And maybe it's a peaceful protest that turns into a not so peaceful protest. And of course, we are the ones with the guns, right? Now, depending on who actually controls the, the levers of the state when that happens, uh, will we'll change things some, somewhat. I don't think that they would push for something like that until they actually have control, once again, of the, of the actual state. Um, but e either way, uh, when that happens, the media will still be the media. And of course, that's going to change everything. Once we fight back, then they'll have the narrative that they always wanted. They'll have the the being able to point as us as we are the racist, arm to the teeth, uh, people that that believe in something that is uh, intolerant in its core. They may not say that right then. That might come later, but that that'll be basically the idea that we're stupid and armed and and a danger and racist. And of course, that's when we. Really, I think that's the best thing that can happen to a globalist is to get that narrative to happen because that's when it can, in fact, close around us because the state can end a riot anytime it wants to. The state is more powerful than just about any mob these days with technology and weaponry the way it is that, uh, yeah, you can protest all day long, but the government, the federal government can end it anytime it wants to. I mean, I suppose if you had the numbers where you could just throw masses and masses of people at, at something, you could ultimately take it over just like you could anywhere else. But, you know, I, I'm kind of getting off the subject here. And I think that if they did that now, like if this happened right after I got done with this podcast, conservatives did something, shot somebody in the street or whatever, that would just continue with the riots situation right now. And it would make it even more passionate or whatever. As soon as conservatives get into this fight, it will perpetuate the riot situation. And that's going to be hard to stop without uh, the state. Once the state comes in, it will be able to stop the riots and do all kinds of stuff. But then you kind of have a lot of political fallout for that. And then you have time to really build up uh, kind of a true new racism. Because once you have created the the videos and stuff of people looting stores and killing people and stomping on people's heads and, and eventually the people that can't have the the mental capacity to say hey this is a result of propaganda and blah 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 sort of look at it in the big picture they're gonna be they're going to create racists i know people in my extended family that are just not going to be able to handle this and they're going to uh you know do everything that they're supposed to do which is react in the exact way that the people that have wanted global government forever have wanted them to react from the beginning to finally get America to fall. So before I get into, let's look at this in perspective and what would it mean if it was true, let me sort of go one step further about how close we are, number one, to the Republic falling and what the next state looks like, which is going to be a socialist system. And I don't say that in 
in any other way except for just historically speaking, we we abandon these kinds of governments for governments that will give that dole out grain to the peasants. I'm just saying that that's how it works. You you get into a World War II situation with Nazi Germany because of the Treaty of Versailles, where they were so economically destitute that it was easy to get people into anything that promised them stuff. The government was going to make them whole again. And of course, you've got that in this, the you know, workers' republics in Mao and, and Stalin and the rest of it. Obviously, that Bolshevism is the idea of you know, the workers getting, and it's mostly, before, more than it's pro-worker, it's anti-bourgeoisie. I mean, it's anti the rich and established. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with Rome first. Uh, but before I get there, let me just finish this thought. The next, the next sort of grain dole society, socialist society, will also have its ideological party agenda. The, the anti-fascist, ironically, will probably be the kinds of mindset you need to recruit and give them a nice little armband there. And they'll know the party line. They'll know who has wrong think and whatever. I, I know this sounds like it couldn't happen, but I'm just saying this is probably the way it would happen uh, if a party like that gets into control. And they would think that they're doing the world a favor when they do all this stuff. And anyway, it would really quickly, once they have the reins of power, it would be anti-Christian. And I need you to, what I'm going to talk about later is something that you need to know about this. Uh, that, that Satan, whenever he gets control and it gets into a totalitarian system, which he's been trying, I think probably since Babylon, I mean, he has always tried to gain control of, over things and then be really mean to God's people. It's like he's obsessed with it. And whether that's the Jews in Nazi Germany or the awful things that Stalin did to the, the Christians and, you know, Mao and even today China or whatever, or, or the Islamic caliphate or whatever, anytime anybody gets a hold of some power, whether it's the Catholic Church, I mean, the awful persecutions that they had of Christians and these medieval torture devices and stuff, anytime he gets power, uncontested power, he's going to kill Christians and Jews. That's just what he does. So that's going to happen again, I'm afraid. And I want to first and foremost say, guys, it's going to be nearly impossible for the Christian mindset to not see that as the Antichrist. I've said it a million times in this podcast, but just one more won't hurt. Christians have always seen every single little tiny thing as the Antichrist that kills them since the beginning of our existence, whether it was Rome, whether it was Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Napoleon, Hitler whatever, every democratic president, they're all, certainly the Catholic church, typically if they would kill you a lot, that was definite proof that it was the Antichrist as far as we Christians have been concerned. If Attila killed Christians or Nero killed Christians, I mean, what other proof do you need? Well, apparently a lot, unless Joseph Stalin was the Antichrist. Because, uh, and, and, and I think that, I think that that actually is rooted in pride. I think it is that you see in your heart, you know it's the end times now because, well, you're alive and you are the pinnacle of all society. I mean, you are the pinnacle of man. It, I don't, you may never die. You're definitely getting raptured, you know? Uh, so clearly the end times has to be in my life. I mean, is there, do, case closed, we can all go home, right? Well, no, the, the end times doesn't have to come into your life. And I suppose you know, a lot of people have said, well, there's good reasons in, in my uh, life that it could happen. And I would say that is true, been true for the last 2,000 years. The events that the Bible does say will happen in the end times, for example, a uh, temple being rebuilt, sacrifices starting on the, 
uh, temple again. That has been a pipe dream since basically the entirety of the 2000 years, right? So you always kind of had to believe that something significant happened to happen in Israel before that happened. And I would say even today, even after 1948, we still are kind of a long shot from a temple being rebuilt and sacrifices starting on the altar again, which is just the first three and a half years. So we need to see some evidence that that's even on the horizon before we talk about Barack Obama being the Antichrist or whatever the next situation is. You got to at least have some kind of criteria for this. Uh, anyway, I, that's my old uh, 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 horse that I'm beating. I did want to talk about uh, the fall of the Roman Republic because I was sort of refreshing my memory on that today. And it was, it's just striking how similar it is. And I think it kind of helps to show, you know, a little bit about what's happening here and maybe drive some of the points I made in this podcast home. So, for example, the Roman Republic, if uh, you don't know, for a thousand years it stood. It was the most anti-emperor, anti-king uh, government that almost ever was. And you can see that by the way that they elected their consuls. You know, basically think of them as a president. Well, they didn't just have one, they had two because they didn't want one taking too much power. And their term was only one year. And then they could never serve as consul again. Or maybe they could serve consul again, but it certainly wasn't consecutive years. I, I think that law may have been changed at some point. But anyway, um, so that was certainly a thing. Uh, that they were really proud of. I think that's another component to this. Think if your country, your republic, lasted a thousand years instead of, what are we at, uh, about 200 now? If you had a thousand year record of a republic standing, which clearly seemed to be the reason why it was the greatest um, thing that had ever existed, right? I mean, you would have senators that would be like Ron Paul times a million, right? Well, Cato, really the Cato Institute, is a good example of a guy that was super patriotic. And of course, all the, the Roman senators and everybody in Rome was patriotic to some degree about their republic, about the fact that they didn't have kings. If somebody did look like a king, they would kill him. I just, just wanted to set a backstory that you have a patriotism in Rome for their republic far exceeded even the kind of person that would like get a, a tattoo of Trump right next to a tattoo of Jesus. I mean, the, the people probably in my extended family, right, that go to those churches that uh, basically will sing hymns, which are just like uh, American uh, patriot songs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So that was worse in Rome. And of course, Rome did fall and it fell hard. It fell to the exact opposite of its uh, stated goal. It fell to an emperor that had complete control over every aspect of the state. So that's a pretty big change, you have to admit. I mean, to get people to agree to that, number one. So the fall of Rome, a lot of people have a lot of different theories about how it happened, but really it was a lot of different, you know, factors. But one of the things that people mostly start off with is the so-called Gracchi brothers. These are two brothers that started really getting uh, government uh, deals. Basically, you can think of them as socialism. They showed up and they, they got the mob on their side, right? The, the, the poor people, especially in Rome and the, the Italian allies and, and so on, they, they kind of relied on uh, Patreons, at, uh, Patreons, patrons at that point, to give them grain, basically. And the idea was that they gave them their daily grain and these people would be sort of a voting block for that senator whenever they called upon them. So a lot of people's socialism was sort of individual patron-based, but there's also some land situations going on. There was some, some promises for soldiers to get land and some other sort of basically socialist-type things that the people in the government didn't want to give that land to the poor people because they owned the land. There's also actually, at this point, 
ironically, because of the great wealth that had come into Rome at that point, there was a lot of inequality of wealth too. So you had the super, super, super rich and the super, super poor. In any case, the Gracchi brothers came along and they sort of really whipped up the poor people and said, we need to get you guys some stuff, right? I mean, you guys deserve stuff. You guys really, really need stuff. And these guys, these rich guys don't want to give you that stuff, but I'm here to give you that stuff. And ironically, the Gracchi brothers, for what it's worth, weren't actually very uh, into it, I think. They just saw it as a path to power because they particularly couldn't get power many other ways due to their uh, birth and the laws of the time. In any case, it really made a difference in Rome. But it's actually, it sounds like where I'm going with this is, is that socialism became a big deal in Rome. But really it was the reaction of the senators and the sort of super patriots in, in the government that said, look, we can't, we can't allow this stuff to happen because it's basically anti-Roman. It's anti-Republic. If we do this, where does this all go down to? They're saying the kind of same things that, you know, your Glenn Beck or something right now is saying about the Gracchi brothers. And your Gracchi brothers is like, uh, I don't know, maybe not, uh, I don't know, you could think of some analog. But the thing is, they killed them. They killed the Gracchi brothers in the streets, murdered. A lot of people started getting murdered in the streets right after this point on both sides. Gracchi brothers died. It kind of died down for a while, but the problem is in the next you know, 100 years or so, it became sort of violent. The violence started becoming a thing that was a political tool as opposed to anything else. And ultimately, it descended into these great purges. Right before Julius Caesar, there were just some awful blood in the streets purges, Sulla and all that stuff. Anyway, the point is, there were, it was just chaos of ki political killing after that because of the precedent set of the killing of the, the, the socialists for basically political purposes. It just became basically an increasing uh, violent situation on political grounds to where it was just totally unstable. So it was the promises of Caesar, and although he didn't really make it because he was killed by the senators who did rightly see him as trying to make himself a king, even though he was like, no, 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 I'm not. But it was, it was Caesar's letter giving the power to Augustus and it was Augustus being the right man for the job that actually could rule the Senate and the, and the plebes and the army with this sort of genius and sort of placate everybody. And of course, he called himself a first citizen. He's not the king. He's just the first citizen. And, you know, said all the right things and was able to pull it off. That, but the, the most important thing I'm trying to get here is that what he really offered and the reason at the bottom nobody actually cared is because everybody just wanted to go back to normal. And here was a guy that offered them normalcy at the cost of absolute power. And then, of course, we see that happening with Hitler, that we see that happening with all the sort of communist and uh, revolutions. And all of them do basically the same thing. Every, everybody I just mentioned that went into a socialist uh, country also became a country that by necessity, killed a bunch of people that didn't agree with it because, of course, that's what you do when you gain a bunch of power. And I think it's helpful to look at some of the specific examples of that. I like the less known examples, like Stalin. We sometimes forget that Stalin uh, killed more people than just about anybody. And he did so under the guise of atheism. His propaganda was that, you know, people, Christians were backwards. Christians had, didn't were so stupid that they believed in God. And, you know, it was a really big part of his propaganda. You know, he killed something, I mean, estimates are between 12 and 20 million Christians, just Christians, 12 and 20 million. I mean, that's, that's hard to even imagine. I mean, how could you, I mean, and, and that's just it. That's not even a well-known one that people even know. 
And yet that happened not that long ago. World War II, right? And so I think that unless we really understand history and say, this is not rare for not only socialist regimes to take over, but for them to immediately begin killing Christians and Jews when they do. That is normal. That's the world that we live in. That is the cycle that always seems to repeat itself. If that cycle happens again, it is not necessarily the end times. And the reason I harp on this is because one of these times, it will be the time before the end times. And that's kind of what I'm scared about. Because think of this scenario. Think of if we go into another gray time, people wearing armbands, rounding up Christians. It's a technological 1984 situation. Although there's going to be a nice little underground going on because we will have, on the one hand, technology to be able to spread our information and messages a little bit better and whatnot. But then what, what if at some point, and of course, the leader of that's going to be the Antichrist to us in, in hiding. You know, we're, we're running from a guy that's killing us, which we will, you know, there's going to be no shortage of preachers telling us that this is the greatest persecution of all time. This is clearly what Jesus was talking about. You know, they're going to minimize everything that they possibly can. Oh, you know, temple being rebuilt and in, 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 uh, sacrifices, really that's in our hearts. You know, if you think about it, that probably could just mean it's in our hearts or something. 666, as we all know, anything can be that. So they'll just say something like that. That's going to be the line because, of course, we're so prideful that it can't not be. They're going to kill me? I am a Christian? They're going to kill me because I'm a Christian? Well, that's it. But what if it's not? What if... The whole point of the Antichrist is not to deceive a bunch of unsaved people that are already deceived, but what if he's here to deceive us? Because I, I think that regardless of what is happening, I think one of the things I keep going back to is you, we know what we do know about the Antichrist. What was very clear is that he makes this covenant, and three years after that covenant is made, there are sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. A lot of things have to happen for that to happen. I would submit one of them is the Ark of the Covenant being found. That That's a total speculation, obviously. They could build another Ark of the Covenant, or they could not have an Ark of the Covenant in the new temple. But it's a really important part of the whole daily sacrifice situation and whatever. But I guess I was just thinking about this the other night. Like, what if we were all in this gray world where nothing was normal? We were all in hiding or, or at the very least, just really you know, look down on persecuted second-class citizens to the socialist regime. We're all in bread lines and, you know, just a really bad situation, right? Uh, Where there were uprisings all the time and this stuff, but they always got crushed by the state. And, you know, it's just a really bad situation. What if in that desperate situation, there was a glimmer of hope? What if we started hearing these tales from the Mideast that, uh, you know, the Ark of the Covenant had been found, there's sacrifices going on again, there's this guy that it's got some kind of ability in warfare. Nobody can beat him, you know, and it looks, I mean, obviously I don't want to get into my whole views here, but I just want to point out that I think the Antichrist will come as a rider on a white horse looking like a guy who we want to follow. And of course, being in a situation where we need somebody to, to help us out of our jam, we might, uh, we might really fall for his whole shtick. All right, I think I will end this podcast here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Just a a couple quick updates. 
everything is going well on the film. I have decided to hire a narrator for the film. I started started doing the production with me narrating it, uh, but for various reasons, I just I think it's better that I just don't. Uh, uh, be featured too prominently in it. So kind of retooling a little bit, uh, with the script and things to make sure that that's all going to work good. And, uh, so we're still on track for everything. I do want to think somebody had sent, uh, you know, we had funded the, the film completely and somebody, you know who you are, you sent some money to the PO box of all places. And, uh, I found it had a note that said, Hey, no, I said, I saw that you said, uh, it was completely fully funded, but I thought you might need a little bit extra. And it was just enough to pay the narrator. So uh, so really, I really do appreciate that. Uh, so keep watching for that. I'm really excited about it and uh, more information on that to come. Thanks, everybody. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. Hey, if you want to help, one of the things that can help is rate and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Give Bible Prophecy Talk a thumbs up and, uh, and we'll uh, see you next time. Thank you.